Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. It's your Thursday podcast in the Orange and Brown Talk feed. Doug Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko, breaking down the Browns. And this is what we're doing in the offseason. Finding a play. Finding a play from this Browns playoff run and expanding on it to tell you what it means for the Browns down the road we're using the past to analyze the future last week we did it with the miles garrett play led by scott diving in on a strip sack this time it's obj and it's ellis williams diving in on a touchdown from odell beckham jr that was cool it was fun it was interesting it was exciting in the moment but what does it mean for the browns in the future we use the past to talk about what's next ellis williams Riding high because Tom Brady won the Super Bowl and he had a Tom Brady poster in his room. So, I mean, that was, again, I mean, Ellis is the genius of our podcast network because if he would have had a Peyton Manning poster in his room when he was a kid, he might have gotten these last two picks wrong. Instead, he's been riding the Brady train. Ellis, you feel like a genius right now, don't you? Listen, guys, I was right twice this weekend. First, about Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl. And then for listeners last week, Doug said I looked like the state farm guy. So when Doug's right, I got to try to make it so he's wrong. So I went out and cut my hair. So now that I don't look like the state farm guy as much and Doug's wrong. So now people that go back to listen to the podcast from last week for like evergreen content are going to listen, click on my Twitter picture when I change it after this podcast and be like, what the heck was Doug talking about? He looks nothing like that guy. So not only does Tom Brady win a Super Bowl, I proved Doug wrong again by cutting my hair. It was a great weekend, guys. It is not enough. It is not enough for you to go like nine and one against me head to head on the picks for the year. You're also now changing your appearance just to make me look like an idiot. Um, I admire the hustle. That is that is quite something. That is my children are probably going to do something now to change their appearance to make me look stupider than I make myself look. So, all right. Ellis, it's it's Ellis Williams week, baby. Everything's coming up, Ellis. So let's let Ellis dive into OBJ. Ellis, dive in. I've got to watch the tape. All right. Like Doug said, I'm diving into uh, offensive play from the Browns. Odell Beckham Jr., shocker, I know, but this is going to be a fun one. Like Scott last week, we're focusing on week two. By coincidence, but I think it is fun to walk through this season and, you know, rather than we spend so much time on the Chiefs game, now we can take you guys back and relive some stuff that just we didn't have time to get into as much as we would have liked to during the season. And just to have a good idea of how far this offense truly came and what it was like back then all the way back in week two. And some similar themes of like Scott's dive where we saw Miles Garrett do something and thought it would become a norm. This dive is going to focus on the Browns offense doing something that I truly thought was going to become a norm, but for unforeseen unforeseen circumstances, that's not what happened. So first let's start with what happened before this play, because it's important on offense. And when we talk about Kevin Stefanski and the way he calls football games, everything he does early, he tries to pay it off later. So again, before we get into the play, it's important to remember how it was set up. The Browns started this game against the Bengals with several play action bootleg looks. And it was the the type of offense that we thought the Browns would show in Baltimore. But again, we threw that game out then. We still in the offseason don't talk about that football game, which is kind of interesting. But it's accurate because it just was nothing like 
the Browns we, we came to know. So to start that game versus the Bengals, Baker Baker Mayfield starts with two quarterback bootlegs and Odell Beckham Jr. runs both a deep comeback, which is, you know, 12 yards and then you break to the sideline and then he had an intermediate kind of flood route concept short. But both those routes are shorter intermediate routes. Again, that's classic Kevin Stefanski. Those early bootlegs included a tight end going in motion pre-snap and a tight end. Usually that's the same tight end because the, the play we're going to get into, he's an 11 personnel. But these early plays were, were, were a 21 look. So he's using both the tight end and the fullback to be at the point of attack, to show strength and then to boot away from it. And that's exactly what happened. He had those two at the point of attack, the strength of the run call, only to have Baker Mayfield boot away from it and pick up two big gains on that first drive. Uh, one of them went to to Jarvis Landry, uh, and the other one was a uh, 26-yard completion to Kaderil Hodge. Just two boom-boom plays that set the, the tone for this football game. And then, again, you're going to hear this a, a few times in this spot. In classic Kevin Stefanski fashion, the next drive, he opens – the, the series with two run plays. So think of the unbalance there and the, un, and the instability that you're showing a Bengals defense to start the drive with two play action runs. And then the next series have back-to-back running plays. The running play prior to the touchdown was a running back draw. And I just cannot imagine being a Bengals, specifically a Bengals safety, but just the Bengals 11 defenders on the field and their defensive coordinator after this play. You're getting beat by deep play action passes, all right? Then the next series, you're down 7-3 to early in the second quarter. This was one of those games where the first quarter just kind of flew by early in the second quarter, and now you're getting – you come out in too high because the Browns are throwing on you, right? And then they call a draw play. And Nick Chubb picks up 13 yards. Now we're looking at first and 10 um, from the Bengals about the, the, their 44-43 yard line. And that is when Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield got the look they wanted. Where going to the play, and you see across the board, you see press man coverage from, from top of the screen to the bottom, and you see a one-high safety look. That tells me that the Bengals are fed up. Nope, you, you just ran for 13 yards on us. We're not only going to stop the run, but we're playing press man physical so that even if you are throwing the football, nothing's going to be available. We're going to be in your receiver's face. We're going to get nasty with them, and you guys aren't beating us on this one. Well, the exact top opposite happens, right? What I find interesting about this play, aside from how it ends, is the Browns are an 11 personnel, a look that they did lean on uh, – heavily in the year their most used package but it was not one that we saw as many deep and heavy play action pass looks out of but what I like about this play and it really has not a lot to do with how the play ends but it is just the inner workings of Kevin Stefanski's offense notice how Baker Mayfield motions Harrison Bryant into the backfield and 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 says something to him right there to me this is Baker telling him that your man is blitzing because when you put a a tight end, really any player, the Chiefs do it with their receivers motioning them into the backfield. It completely changes the rules for a defense. So when Harrison Bryant is on the line as a tight end, he has once the defense has one set of rules and one set of coverage for him and then being in man coverage meant that their safety was on him who motions across. Now when that when he motions into the fullback position, you see the safety roll down even further into the box. And when we start running the play, notice that it's not that same safety that carries with Harrison Bryant because that was Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield taking another key player out of coverage. Now, the guy that rolls down was never going to interfere with where this ball was going, but it's just for the whole – the completion of the play. Get less talented players in coverage like linebackers and put your the guys you want in coverage closer to the line of scrimmage. It is, it is great – film study by the Browns and Kevin Stefanski getting the Bengals to play to a disadvantage because they have to follow their rules. Right. All right. So let's, let's get this play underway. Right. So at the snap, it is a great look at what the Browns were making their bread and butter. It was the wide zone, right? You see the entire offensive line flow, right? And I think the tight view is really good for this. You just see how the mirror of running past there, it is, so well done from left to right. They're in unison. That is that screams run. 
the key here to me is Baker Mayfield on the fake. He holds, he pauses just enough to hold that defensive end. Now, I don't think that end was athletic enough to catch Baker anyway, but you see him kind of dip his shoulder and confuse the end with where the ball is. The, the end wants to come down the line and really pursue the backside cut and take that away. A little as you know, Baker Mayfield has the football. So I, I want to interrupt something here real quick yeah. because I, I just want to say, Ellis, it is beautiful. Like you are, and, and I don't want to interrupt. You're like a painter right now, right? I mean, like this is, I can tell when you were breaking this film down in your apartment, I think you probably had classical music on in the background. Mozart, right? right? I mean, like just this is magical football. And the thing, Scott, that I find we, we ha- we're taking a whole hour to dive into one place. So we want the nitty gritty. But mm-hmm. Scott, everything that Ellis has said about what led up to this play, if you did not know what led up to this play, I think you could guess what did lead up to the play because the Bengals are clearly reacting to something pr- that was previously successful that help opens this up. And Scott, just as this play is beginning, you can see the Bengals are fearful of the Browns run game here, Scott. Oh yeah. And I think, and I'm glad Ellis mentioned the week one, because if you just watch week one and then you skipped ahead to this play, You're right. you, you wouldn't know what came before it. Uh, because it was just so different the, the plays in this game, especially that first drive. And then this, this is, I remember thinking, well, this is what we thought we were going to get with Kevin Stefanski's offense. It wasn't at all what we saw against Baltimore. This is it. And, and you're right. I think this includes everything, you know, it's, it's the wide zone, it's Baker booting. And it's, this is what we saw so much over the first half of the season. It, it changed a little over the second half of the season, yep. but this right here, uh, and, and how they came out back to back on those first two plays. I just remember thinking, watching that, like, oh, well, where was this last week? You know, this just should have been what they did against Baltimore. But uh, yeah, it was, it was clear that, that they were kind of building up to this moment. And I'm sure Ellis is going to get into it, but like on the back, in the back of uh, the Bengals defense is, I think, where you really see like how this all worked together because of their reaction to this play and how people got open. And again, the idea that, you don't have to run the ball to run play action. We all know that, right? The play action works in and of itself. But sometimes, man, when you are running the ball effectively, you really can see the bite. And just as a heads up to people, this defensive end that Ellis is talking about, who maybe he he literally like throws his hands up to the side, like, whoops, Baker's rolling out. It's former Ohio State Buckeye Sam Hubbard, who's a pretty darn good player. I mean, like, he's not a stiff. That guy, like that guy was like a second or third round pick. He is a good athlete but he just gets caught in the moment here because of the dun, 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 da, 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 part of this play. All right, Ellis, keep rolling with your master strokes here. It, it is a symphony, right? Because that the end has no idea where he's supposed to be. And the two parts I'm going to, I'm going to take us, I'm going to wrap this Baker Mayfield part of the play up. And then we got to talk about what Odell Beckham Jr. Does Baker's fake. And then to the role is so artfully done and the Bengals are so sick of Baker rolling and hitting something on the sideline that you see the free safety drive all the way down towards it, it's uh I don't have the play in front of you. is it land is it Landry coming it's or Todd Jarvis yeah. yep. Jarvis yep. yep coming down in the flat there so sick of getting beat on that play and it's only this early in the second quarter, right, guys? This is the second series, and they're already fed up. It's what exactly what you said, Doug. It, it's fear. It's frustration already building from not knowing where the ball is and what this offense could be doing next. That he completely bails on his deep half assignment. You know, I mean, he is res- literally responsible, free safety, for the most deep man on the field. And he says, you know what? Go just deal with Odell Beckham Jr. on your own out there. You're going to be fine, Right. Well, let's get into OBJ's route because you guys know how I feel about receivers. You guys know how I feel about Odell, but this is just one of the better routes you're going to see on a professional football field. First, the get off, and you're going to see early right around the six, five yard, five yard depth, which is legal to get hands on. The Bengals try to get hands on Odell Beckham Jr. there. And I'm, I'm trying to remember what corner that is. Is that Jackson? I think 22. 
it, it is it is one of their their better corners, and I mean that would make sense. And he's had some interceptions against Baker Mayfield. He tries to get hands on Beckham, and Beckham sets the tone right away early in the route and f- fights right off him. Just says, "Nope, you're not getting your hands on me." Again, sending a message that throughout this route, I'm the dominant player. You're not touching me. You're not getting hands on. From that point, we get to about 12 yard depth, and you get the out. You get the little shimmy, right? And now he's like, okay, I've seen this route already before. You're going to just break out and wait for the roll to come your way. And you're really not a, an option on this play. You're the last resort. It's if the play kind of breaks down and Baker needs to find his guy on the sideline, he might make a, a tight sideline throw to Odell there. But Odell being one of the quickest receivers in the game, all he needs is a one-two shimmy. And look at that burst right around the 25-yard line. I mean, that's – that I see three yards of separation already there. You're not catching Odell. And Baker puts so much on this that Odell has to fall for it, and he lands right in the end zone. Touchdown. He won the route in the first three or four steps, as any great receiver would. He set the tone by not letting him win with hands on. A, a diligent fake. All it took was one little shimmy. Breaks him free for a 43-yard score. It was peak Browns offense, in my opinion. I like what Scott said about how the Browns did have to evolve and change a little bit. And to their credit, I think they would have done that with or without Odell. You know, you just couldn't, you just can't run the same stuff over and over and over again. This this is the NFL, right? Odell would have grew with them. But for the first half of the season, at least, this is, and and perhaps later stuff they could have came back to once you, you shelf it for a little bit. I remember watching this play at first energy and just thinking this is what I envision this Browns offense looking like 43 yards downfield. What I thought would be a norm ended up being a one-off for the Browns. And we'll get into why that is. And and you can tell it is William Jackson. It's number 22. It's easy to see because he's chasing Odell the whole time. So you really (laughs) get a good look at his number from the back on this. He's the 26th highest graded coverage corner in the league, the highest graded Bengals coverage corner. This is not an an Ellis and Scott. You guys are always smart about like picking on guys, right? Ellis, you've talked about that a lot in the high scoring Baltimore Monday night game. The Browns took advantage of a Baltimore injury and picked on a guy. This is their best corner on the Browns best receiver. And Odell just wins. And Scott, this is just you. This is just Odell Beckham because as Ellis said, the safety pulls down. This is just one-on-one. Best receiver, best corner, and Odell wins. Yeah, I mean, you get the one-on-one matchup. That's what everybody, every quarterback wants on the outside. It, when I watch this play, I, there's like a real domino effect here. because, And I think it starts with Landry. Because the guy covering Landry crossing is Darius Phillips, and he bites on the play action. Just for a second, you can see he hesitates. And then that's enough for Landry just to break away and start running free across the middle. And that causes the safety to come down because he sees that and here's Landry running wide open across the middle. So, and then that, you know, as Ellis said, clears out the deep, the deep route and, you know, Beckham and Baker take care of it from there. And I think that pass was even a little bit underthrown, but still Baker never really like sets on that play. He like gets right, his right. hips and his shoulders turned, but he still throws it on the run and it's, you know, right where it needs to be and touchdown. And, and I do think Ellis, when you're talking about, peak Browns offense. I think we do spend a lot of time. Listen, the Browns have two really high priced receivers in Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, right? And you kind of wonder when does the rubber meet the road on, can you keep both these guys long-term they're different receivers? This, this is like them working in concert perfectly because as, as we were saying here, Jarvis wins his route, which forces the safety down, which means when Odell wins his route, there's no, there's nobody to help him. It's two guys winning, putting a safety in a bind because you're trying to cover two guys with three people. They both win and it's perfect. And again, it's the example of like, Ellis, you watch this in week two and you think, okay, this is it. This is what make, I mean, Jarvis is Jarvis. Jarvis's value to the Browns in a lot of ways is incalculable. But as a receiver, this is what makes them, worth it because they're playing off each other in a way that puts defenses in a bind. Doug, that's exactly it. And it's why we thought that this would become the norm for the Browns offense, because when you have your two number one receivers doing what they do best, Jarvis Landry winning in the middle of the field, and then Odell Beckham Jr. 
winning 30 yards downfield, I mean, pick your poison. The, the Bengals decided to take away the intermediate route, thinking their number one corner could win on the outside with Odell Beckham Jr., and, and it was costly. But what I want to get into is how this was not something that proved to be sustainable for the Browns and what that meant in the, in the grand scheme of when, because we talked so much about how do the Browns replace Odell Beckham Jr. Right. And how do they continue to be that, that vertical team? And just like not putting miles Garrett over guards and inside at all the rest of the season, this vertical offense, this was the best version of it. And we didn't get more of it later. And part of it is, so you can see, so listen, Jarvis is also there. If Baker wants Jarvis, Baker can take Jarvis for whatever the 15, 20 yard gain here. Yep. If, if he just wants him, even with the safety coming down, he would not get there in time if Baker wants Jarvis here. But, or if the safety had gone with Odell, then Jarvis would have been wide open. Right. But part of it here, and I don't know how much this, you guys think this factors in, is Baker looks for this here. That this is, they do this, I mean, this is football, I guess, right? Because there's even, I think Austin Hooper is here a little bit underneath. It's like, it's like short, middle, deep when you get this play action rollout. But Baker has to be willing to look deep and take the one-on-one matchup. And where is he? Like, where do, do you guys have a general opinion on where Baker is in wanting to take those matchups when the deep receiver wins? And A, how is he when it's Odell? maybe winning that matchup and B how is he maybe when it's not Odell as that deep receiver on a play, trying to win that matchup. Scott, I'd be curious what you think about that. Cause I'd noticed once Odell was no longer a part of this offense, I thought Baker's eyes really came down and, and that's not a, a knock on him. I mean, he threw the interception in Cincinnati because he only had eyes for Odell. I'm pretty confident that when this play started after he had that Harrison Bryant motion, to completely tip off the coverage, knowing what he's getting, this ball was going to Odell no matter what. That's the Baker I remember seeing. And then after that, I thought he got eyes only for the, you know, 25 to 15 yard deep shot, not the 30, 40 yard hits like this one. Yeah. Well, I don't, those, those routes weren't as common or at least they weren't as thrown (laughs) over the second half of the season. I mean, Odell led, he had nine deep targets over the first six games. This was his last one or this, um, week seven was his last one in that first play where he got hit Higgins ended up leading the team in deep targets with only 11, you know, Beckham was among like, he's in the top 10, 15 every year in deep targets. And that just went away. Uh, he was second overall last season He had 33. So yep. that just kind of disappeared. And I think, you know, obviously he's going to have more confidence in Beckham getting those than, than even people's Jones or Higgins or anybody else. I think he has that same kind of confidence in Landry, but Landry doesn't run those, those routes like, like Beckham does. So yeah, I don't think it was there as much. And I don't think he had the right receivers running the routes when they did. Now we saw people's Jones catch a big one or catch a couple of big ones. But other than that, you know, it, it just wasn't happening with, uh, with the same kind of uh, frequency as, as it did over the first six, seven games here. I imagine we are soon getting to the point of, and this tells you, why Odell Beckham Jr. should stick around in this Browns offense in 2021. And we will get to that right after this on Gotta Watch the Tape. Back on Gotta Watch the Tape in the Orange and Brown Talk feed. Make sure you're listening five days a week, Monday through Friday, to everything the Orange and Brown Talk podcast brings to you. Uh, The three of us, Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, just a lot of great Browns coverage in this exciting, interesting offseason. Tim Bielek drops in every now and then with a little draft coverage. So five days a week. Don't miss a single episode. Ellis, I mean, this is okay. This was great that this happened, but then it went away. But man, it's hard to watch this play. And to everybody listening to this. We, we always put our podcasts up on our site at cleveland.com slash Browns. And we will also put this clip in the, with the story there. So you can find the podcast. Listed. But if you want to go watch it, just go to cleveland.com slash Browns. You'll find this headline and go watch this play yourself. How can you watch this play Ellis and think anything other than Odell's got to be back as a Brown in 2021. To me, it's that simple. Look, the Browns are going to have to find a way to be explosive and vertical downfield. And you can do that with two ways. You sign an expensive wide receiver free agent. You draft somebody 
or you just keep who you have. And when you see this play, what I loved about it so much was even, and, and Scott said it before the break, even a, a slight underthrow by Baker, it, it didn't matter. There was no talk about, Oh, where was the chemistry? I mean, if they miss on this, we could have done a dive on that and on it itself, like missing this play, what it meant, but that's, that's not where we had to go with it because everything was executed so perfectly. And again, I keep going back to the, the phrase of peak Browns offense, because when you didn't have this, the Browns offense really, it condensed the field. And and Scott got into this a, a bit before the break and about the receivers who led the team in, in explosive catches. I went a, a, a yard, a few yards further than that, if you will, because explosive catches usually is like a 15 to 20 yard play. And that's what I find so interesting about the Browns offense and the adjustments Kevin Stefanski had to make is that the team didn't get all that less explosive in the 15 to 20 yard range. But I went back and I looked for 30 yard plays. that traveled 30 air yards or more, including incompletions. So from weeks two to seven, that's six games in the games that Odell Beckham Jr. Played, they had seven pass plays travel 30 yards or more week seven through the wild card game. That's 12 plays. The Browns only had eight pass passing plays of 30 air yards or more. I thought the directional numbers would be a little different. Like I thought, okay, without Odell, they're not hitting the sidelines as much, but I was actually wrong about that. The, the sideline production, the numbers from the numbers to the sideline, you know, where those traditional outside quote unquote, number one receivers play, those numbers were fine. Rashard Higgins and Donovan Peoples Jones held their own to give the Browns enough of an outside presence where they couldn't be disrespected. Like they weren't like the, the Ravens where they just needed to live in the middle of the field. That wasn't the case at all but they, the, the verticality of this offense really dropped. I mean, to the point where, like I said, where they weren't even throwing incompletions downfield. And you can, if you go, you can look at the um, next gen stats is how I, how I molded most of this dive. And you can just look at the passing charts. It's actually really fun to go do. And you just see a real compressed yet efficient Baker Mayfield throwing between the 15 to 24, 25 yard area. And to me, that tells me two things that I want to get into, but I'll, I'll throw it back to you guys quickly. Cause I, I think Scott, I see you leaning in or Doug, excuse me. I see you leaning in to me. That tells me this, that the Browns still found a way to remain explosive, but they really had an eight man in the box issue that they have to find a way to solve. That's what this is going to come down to. And is, is part of this then that I know there's the, there's the discussion point of, did Baker get better because Odell wasn't there? But what you're explaining, Ellis, is that Baker got better despite Odell not being there because right. he was efficient in this, you know, 10 to 20 yard area that you're talking about. And he would rip, you know, he rips throws in the middle of the field sometimes. They still worked play action, but this threat wasn't there. And it, they didn't have a way to loosen up the defense. And Scott, again, I think if you're on the side of like, well, was he better because Odell wasn't there or was he actually better despite Odell not being there? What Ellis is describing here that you don't have this option to loosen up a defense that would seemingly make Baker's job harder, not easier. And he still was good at it. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, look, having Odell out there over the second half of the season doesn't mean the Browns were going to keep, we're going to like be among the league leaders and shots downfield like that offense. This offense isn't, built that way but having that threat I think is the important part you know even if Odell had played the whole season he wasn't going to come anywhere near the number of deep targets he had had in previous seasons but he was clearly going to lead the Browns um, so again it's not that you just want to call him a decoy but the fact that he's out there and there's that threat means a lot for for everything else that's happening you know closer to the line of scrimmage and making this offense more efficient and just in this Kevin Stefanski offense, Alice, how important is this threat, right? Because there's the there's the execution of it, but there's just the threat of it. Does this Kevin Stefanski offense like need this deep threat, or actually is it quite functional and they can win at a high level without having it? Doug, it's a great question, and I think the answer lies in the margin for error. So I found some pretty interesting stats revolving around percentage of air yards. If you look at in 2019, 
Odo Beckham Jr., I believe, was finished like fourth in the league with like somewhere in the 30% range of the Browns' percentage of DPR, just meaning that that was their go-to deep threat. This year, you see the teams, I, I think there's two really good examples of it's a perk that puts your offense to the next level, but it's not necessary for sustainable offensive success. The names I noticed, first, let's start at the top. Devontae Adams running what the LaFleur has as a Kevin Stefanski-like offense, right? Uh, finished ninth with 33% of the Packers' deep air yards. Then you have A.J. Brown of the Titans finishing 17th with that healthy number, that 30% of deep air yards. Then I found two offenses, one being the Browns, where you found a number that just shows you that this they don't have that sort of deep threat. They don't allocate their yardage downfield. First, it was the... Los Angeles Rams. I'm just calling them the St. Louis Rams there. I don't think I've done that on this podcast yet. The Los Angeles Rams. Robert Woods with just 23.9% of deep air yards. That's 40th. And then you see the Browns all the way down at fi- their first receiver popping up on this at 53rd with Jarvis Landry at just 21% of the team's total air yards. To me, that says that the best version of this offense has that threat, that option to beat you deep when necessary, when advantageous, when set up. I, I want I want to go back to the early part of the dive because it's important when we started this talking about how these plays are set up. Stefanski running boot, Stefanski running boot, showing motion and then booting off of it. Just running the ball. Eh, no, we're just going to run the ball. It looks like one thing. It's actually the other. This happened in the playoffs in both the NFC games uh, on that same weekend the Green Bay Packers playing the St. Louis or geez, I just did it again. The Green Bay Packers. I talked myself into it. That's funny. I talked myself into it. The Green Bay Packers playing the Los Angeles Rams ran uh, just a little inside quick hitting run play. And then finally for the kill shot, they leaked Alan Lazard in the back end and Aaron Rodgers hit him for that deep uh, inside breaking post. And it really sealed the game. And then the Rams actually did it. And this is where the air yard thing becomes real interesting because when you don't have a quarterback that can stretch the field to Sean McVay's brilliance, he still found a way to show uh, who are they playing? They're playing the Seahawks show the Seahawks that short run play. They were had Robert Woods inside and then they just leaked him on kind of a backside shallow. And it was only like an 11 yard completion, but it really was the, the touchdown that won them the game by showing them run, showing them run, showing them run. And, and quite frankly, you saw how frustrated Sean McVay got with his lack of a vertical offense with the quarterback change they made. So, Doug, to answer your question, these offenses, both because of play caller, design, and roster construction, can be sustainable and high-octane, quite frankly, without the verticality. But, man, when you have what the Packers were able to do, when you have what the Titans are able to do. I mean, remember that Browns-Titans game. The, the, the Browns go up like three scores, and then all of a sudden they just throw two quick, quick deep shots to A.J. Brown. It's like, all right, well, we're, we still might be in this. You know, that's a, it's a luxury. But now we're talking about the Browns going from bottom feeders to contenders, contenders to actually winners, right? To go from contenders to winners, it's that you need that luxury. You're going to need it, especially in these playoff games. And it all goes back to that Chiefs game. That's why we're having this conversation. It does. So there's two specific questions I want to ask here that that I think you're exactly right there, Ellis, like they can win 11 games in a playoff game without this, but if they want to win the Super Bowl, this might be the get you over the top kind of Super Bowl thing that we're, you know, all these like uh, off season rankings are coming out. And again, I made the point the other week and I would like to at some point have a discussion on one of these podcasts when I said, are we sure the Browns aren't the third best team in the league? They're like seventh, I think off season rankings, like power rankings, which I think, do you realize how good that is? Like the people that talk, like they're right in there, like not in the top cut, but absolutely right in the second cut. So now you're talking about now you're differentiating yourself. And they did this without Odell, but Odell might get them over the top. Scott, is that the best application of this? Is this the way that you're thinking about this, that maybe they don't absolutely need it? But, man, if they want to beat the elite of the elite, this is the kind of threat, the kind of player, the kind of play that can help you do it. Oh, definitely. And, and the playoffs, I think, is where it was like a glaring thing. Like Baker's intended air yards kind of stayed the same over the course of the season. It was like about eight and a half um, before and after Odell. But when you got into the playoffs, 
it dropped to 6.8 against the Steelers. And we know that they wanted to get the ball out quickly to negate the pass rush, but he only had two pass attempts over 20 yards in that game. And then against the chiefs, his intended air yards was only 5.1, which was even lower. Only two, only three passes over 20 yards against the chiefs. So that just wasn't there. That, that downfield passing game wasn't there. And you put Odell in, in either of those games and it's a different story, I think. So that's the one part of this. The second part of this, and it's kind of what you were talking about uh, with like the Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford discussion, Ellis, that it's like, I think Sean McVay was like, man, we can't do it. I want to do it. Okay, let's go get Matthew Stafford. Do we have any doubts about Baker Mayfield's ability to make these throws on a consistent basis? Because there's one thing to have the threat, but if you don't have the quarterback that can utilize the threat, then maybe the threat isn't the best way to use your roster money, right? Like, where is Baker, do you think, Ellis, as a deep ball thrower? He hit this one, but can he hit it consistently? It's a great question. With Baker, because then because we go back to the evaluation process coming out of school and and coming out of Oklahoma, it was this kid can make any throw, right? And it's not like he's lost that sort of arm talent. Uh, Jared Goff as uh, an issue is his inability and lack of desire to take those risks a guy who is is scared to have his eyes downfield I think Baker Mayfield is light years ahead of where Jared Goff is in pre-snap reads progressions and then just overall confidence I mean Baker will let this rip I listeners are going to be are going to hear this podcast and be like wow they've been talking for 30 40 minutes they haven't even mentioned the 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 Titans Donovan Peoples-Jones 75 yard score right because it's it's by yardage, it is a, a further, it is a longer play than the Beckham score. The the air yardage is uh, Beckham favors it. That was 43 in the air. And I think the DPJ one was like 34, 35 in the air. And that's a play where similarly a double move out and up gets the win and it's right on the money to a wide open target proving Baker is capable, but it is Baker. The, the last question in this, where is Baker Mayfield at in, in the quarterback he's going to be in this league is why couldn't it, why didn't it work with the number one receiver, right? Because if we're saying that they need a guy like Odell to get over the hump well, they had that guy and for two, two, you know, one and a half seasons, it didn't work. I think I can, we can all answer those questions. You know, you can't hold 2019 against Baker. And then this Browns offense in the first seven games was nothing like it was in the last 10 or 11. I, I think that's the defense, but simply because we haven't seen it happen yet, that's the last progression I'm waiting to see Baker Mayfield take. And if it happens in weeks one through four next year, where he's on, he's in a rhythm with Odell that we haven't seen before. Browns fans are going to be feeling pretty dang good about that connection going forward. Let's take another quick break in it. And I want to delve in on that. And then we want to talk about sort of the eight man box look and how often the Browns face that and how they dealt with it without Odell. We'll do that next on got to watch the tape. All right, back, Doug, Scott, Ellis, Scott, do you like, do you think if Odell's back and we'll get to that at the end, but like, let's assume Odell's back and Odell's back to himself and he's a Brown in 2021. Will we see more of this? Like we're talking about, this is perfect. This is like practically a perfect offensive play, Scott, but could we see this on a more regular basis in 2021? If Odell's himself, I think it makes sense to have Baker Mayfield throwing a lot of deep passes because he's really good at it. He was fifth in the league in adjusted completion percentage on deep passing this year. In, in 2018, he was third. Yeah, third, 51.4%. It was just 2019 where he kind of, you know, yeah. went to dumper and it was like under 30%. But, you know, his rookie year in this past season, he was really good. And, you know, you add Baker or you add Odell into that equation for a full season. And with Stefanski calling the plays, and I think you're going to see Baker up there again because he's proved he can get it. And also just Baker on the run in general, like, I have total confidence in Baker moving and throwing that something good's going to happen. He just has a knack for doing that. Okay. So we like the idea of Baker having a deep threat. We like the idea of that being a thing that can work in this offense, but it also, it, again, it all pairs together, Ellis, right? That there's parts of this that Odell could not Odell help make the run game even better. Right. Because they're, they are, when they run it like they do, teams try to stop the run. And I think we did see that at times in 2020. 
That's exactly it, Doug. And we're entering a, a phase in this Browns offense where uh, I'm. It's only February, and I'm already excited for the middle of September for week one and two, right? But because I'm so fascinated by what this offense will look like early in the season, because you worry about a book now being out on Kevin Stefanski in this offense, like the way the Ravens were able to just come out and, and smash the Browns in week one. If this Browns offense looks exactly like it did versus the chiefs. And of course the schedule is not out yet. We don't know who they're playing week one, but that could prove problematic. This, this offense is at a point where it needs to evolve. It does not need a makeover by any means. It does not need it is not broken. It does not need fixing but it needs a slight evolution. And that's where this eight man box that issue that continued to plague the Browns all year. And Kevin Stefanski was well aware of this. He offset a lot of these eight man box issues by coming out in heavy formations, having two tight ends on the field and then motioning to empty, putting the running back out wide, putting two of his tight ends in the slot and then having another receiver on the other side. And now all of a sudden you're an empty versus an eight man box that has three linebackers on the field you're going to be able to complete passes when when that's your your setup right but teams are figuring that out starting with the chiefs and they're just going to play more athletic guys to take away your short game so now you're throwing quick game to eliminate the eight-man box and you're not stretching the field vertically as i we detailed before the last break where the the 30-yard passing windows were, were obsolete because what I, according to sharp football stats that tracks explosive plays, the Browns still ranked 17th in explosive pla- passing plays, and that's 15 yards plus. And as we detailed, they, they really were still successful in that 15 to 20 yard window. But to me, that just tells you that the margin for error is much thinner than if you had, as we detailed earlier, the, the uh, Devonta Adams field stretcher and A.J. Brown or an Odell Beckham type guy. The Browns rank second in explosive run plays, and that should surprise no one. And this next stat probably doesn't surprise anyone either, where Kareem Hunt ranked ninth in eight-man boxes faced 31% of the time, and Nick Chubb was right behind him, 31.3 for Kareem Hunt with eight-man boxes, and Nick Chubb faced eight-man boxes 31% of the time. The thing about that list, though, even though it's like, oh, it's only ninth, they are by far the highest volume used backs inside that top 10 when facing eight man boxes other guys on that list included the ravens gus edwards the ravens had the 32nd ranked passing attack in football and los angeles running back cam Akers of the rams and we we just spent you know 30 seconds there talking about jared goff and the issues that the rams had with their passing game that's not good company to be in is what i'm saying but for the browns to still have a 17th ranked passing offense despite the eight man boxes and for nick chubb and kareem hunt to finish with the second most explosive amount of running plays and for Nick Chubb just to have the season he had really tells you that they are overcoming so much more than they need to. If Odell Beckham jr. In this vertical passing game can find its footing next year, the Bengals play how we started this dive. What this whole dive is about is the perfect example of making a team pay when they do decide to punish Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt with these heavy boxes. Oh, you're going eight man. Well, 43 yards score over the top. Now you got to play two man high. And now Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt really carve you up. And I get it. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt carve teams up all year, but in the chiefs game, in the Steelers game, they weren't the, the, the factors that they could be, they could completely unlock if teams don't sit, in these eight man boxes, because quite frankly, it becomes a double edged sword. You, you can't expect these two running backs to continue to be as productive as they are facing eight man fronts. It's unfair to the offensive line and defensive coordinators will figure it out until you have a way to get the pressure off and stretch that field vertically. 15, 20 yard passes are great. They move the chains and by definition, they are explosive. But I think the Browns proved this year that they do not actually make teams respect you as a throwing team. And they will continue to put eight men in the box until you actually test them vertically. For all this Browns offense did this year. I mean, Scott, it sounds like this discussion, how how much more is out there that this, you know, we started by this by saying, Ellis is saying, this is the peak. This is peak Browns offense, this play execution. 
But once Odell was gone, I mean, how often did we see peak Browns offense? What is peak Browns offense? And how much better could this offense be in 2021 if all of this continues to sort of work together, maybe even better than it did this past season? Well, getting Odell or somebody else who has speed, which we've talked a lot about, uh, is certainly a, a direction this offense could go and explore more with. Um, there's also the issue of how much you have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb on the field together. Do you want to sacrifice the freshness that they have at the end of this, the game for mismatches and potential big plays earlier in the game because they're both out there together? I think uh, one of the one of the plays we talked about uh, a few weeks ago was that uh, uh, Dave Njoku screen. You know, what if that was you know Kareem Hunt or Nick Chubb catching that instead of him? Which means, what if you have two running backs on the field a little more? than you know, three, three tight ends. So there are more things you can do. And I definitely think Ellis is right. This offense needs to evolve. That Chiefs game was a great example of that. There was just, there was nothing else there when they got to that last drive where they had a chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter, you know, to beat the Chiefs. There was, there was just nothing else there for them to go to beyond what they had already done earlier in the game. And they kept going back to some things and they kind of got burned by it. So Kevin Stefanski's working on that, I'm sure, as we speak. We never got to see year two of what he had with the Vikings. We're going to see that with the Browns. And, yeah, there's definitely more that can be done. I think it has more to do with, again, outside of bringing Odell back or bringing more speed, it's using those matchups a little differently than he did this year. So I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But, you know, it's February, so this is the time to get ahead of yourself. So the Chiefs are an explosive passing offense, right? They don't run it great. They don't have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. The Bills, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. It's what everybody dreams of, right? Oh, if 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 Odell and Baker could have been like Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs right from the start. Listen, I get it. Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, they got some. They don't have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. No offense to those guys, right? The idea of like this Browns running attack with this offensive line and with those two backs. Nobody can match that. There is not an elite team that matches that. And the idea that this Browns passing game could approach doesn't have to be as good, but could approach Mahomes, Kelsey Hill, could approach Allen and Diggs, could approach Rodgers and Adams, right? That is so – because it doesn't have to be as good as that because their run game's better. If you add this in and the evolution that both of you are talking about, that is a Super Bowl offense. And that's why we're talking about an Odell Beckham touchdown from week two, because if you can get more of this Ellis, that's a Super Bowl offense. They're right there. They're right there scratching the surface. I, I'm so glad Scott brought up the that last drive in the Chiefs game because they just hit a wall. They hit a wall where they're, it, it was. it's almost poetic where – they needed the offseason. Like, nope, this is actually as far as we can go. This this is it. You know, the, the defense did a good job, but we cannot go any further than this. We need to go to the drawing board. We need to get some guys healthy. We need to draft some speed. And then we'll see you guys all next year because we have a lot to build upon. A lot easier said than done. You know, the, this needs to become a, a norm. Seeing Odell Beckham Jr. 40 yards downfield making a catch like this needs to become norm until we see it. Cause I feel like, you know, since, since I, I, I got to Cleveland, I've been waiting to see this. Oh, we, everyone has since Odell got to Cleveland, we just got here in the same season. So I act like we rode there together. <laughs> <laughs> you carpooled. Yeah. You yeah, picked him up. Yeah. You know, I was in New York too. I spent a couple of years there. Then, you know, we'll end up in Cleveland. Funny how that works, but in, we've been waiting to see it. And I kept thinking it would happen just like everyone else. This play shows what it can be, but we need to see it. And I would be foolish to think it couldn't happen. Everything has the foundation has been laid to get there. Baker Mayfield took that leap. Kevin Stefanski realized who he was as a play caller and what his quarterback's strengths were. The only missing ingredient was that deep threat. I'd be surprised if it isn't Odell. We'll have all offseason to talk about who that may be. But I think this play is exactly the what this offense can look like in perfect fashion. And I'm confident that Kevin Stefanski looks at this play every once in a while in Berea and was like, we need to find more ways to look like that and not look like this final drive of the chiefs that Scott just brought up. They found a way to be super efficient. They really did. Right. 
but you could tell what you guys are talking about with that last Chiefs drive. The Chiefs weren't scared of them. There wasn't, they weren't, they were up and attacking. They weren't their safeties. They weren't worried about getting beat over the top by anybody. They thought, let's let Tyron Matthew, you know, roam around, whatever. They're not going to beat us. We're not, we're coming out. They're not. I mean, can you imagine dropping this play on the Chiefs in that situation, right? It's perfect. It's exactly what they needed. And, it, yeah. and you know, it didn't have to go for six. Just threaten them. It's the, it is the key word. They were, there was no threat. There was no fear in the Chiefs. They were the aggressor, and those receivers paid the price for it. Got hit in the face and popped. And as we started this highlight, the way Odell Beckham Jr. hand fights to win, it's all those little nuances at the starter routes that set the tone, and they didn't have a, didn't have a guy like that late. So this is why, I mean, why everybody should be just enthralled with the Browns at this point, because when you look at them, I mean, as I, in general, like where are they getting worse? Where are they getting worse? Cause like, okay, we're just talking about the offense here. Well, the whole offensive line's back. The quarterback's back. Both running backs are back. The top tight ends back. I mean, may, I don't know. Jarvis is back, you know, like OBJ is kind of the only question mark. And is it really a question mark? I mean, like this, the, you know, they're all go look, go look at the free agency lists that are out there. Like how many good teams are still going to be good, but they're losing a couple key guys here and there. Show me the, the, the foundational pieces that the Browns are losing this off season. And you think about everything they still might add or the people who are going to be here, but be better at their job in the second year of this coaching staff. And I think this play is, is a great way to show that because they've done it. It's proof, Ellis, they can do it. They just couldn't do it really after Odell was out. And even with him, they maybe couldn't do it as consistently as they wanted to. But if they can, again, just go back and go, go to cleveland.com and watch this play and then imagine dropping this on that Sorensen guy. I don't even know his first name, that 49 Sorensen guy. I feel like you just want to drop one right on his Drop a bomb right on his head. Drop that on that dude in that situation against the Chiefs and see where you go. But that's what it takes. I mean, that's what I think. Now, listen, Brady, like Brady is pretty efficient. Tom Brady isn't necessarily dropping bombs on everybody. He's doing it at the right time. But it's like there is a way to just be. But this is the next level thing that, that makes the Browns not just a playoff team, but a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Doesn't it get you fired up for this? I think people listen. It's like Ellis, you're saying Scott. I mean, it's like I want to watch Miles Garrett get strip sacks. I want to watch Odell Beckham Jr. run deep. When's the last time Browns fans were like this fired up? It's February, and you cannot wait for football. This is so much better than looking at film of someone else's team because he might be become the coach next season. And you're trying to figure out how would that look with the Browns personnel. This is like you're actually watching the Browns do things, knowing that. Yeah, you're going to see the same group next season, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, we've had two off-season pods. We've got to watch the tape. Two plays, two hours. I could go another 40 minutes on this play if you that's want. That's what I'm to. saying. I mean, it's like it's, it's so much fun. fun. All right, so we'll be back next week. We'll be back next Thursday with another play that Scott will pick out. We're going to kind of work our way through. We'll work our way through the roster, different situations, different players, always using the past to inform ourselves about the future because as great as 2020 was for the Cleveland Browns, certainly possible that 2021 will be even better. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Browns. If you want to drop a review in the Orange and Brown Talk feed on Apple Podcasts, always uh, curious to hear your feedback on what you think of our Browns podcast, but for now, great work by Ellis Scott. Great stuff as always. Thanks to you guys for listening and thanks for diving in on gotta watch the tape.